Hello, and welcome to Fantastic Comic Fan. I am your host, R.T. Fleming, and it is my mission to help you find your next digital comic book pick from the golden age to now. I have been reading comic books for over 40 years and have never lost my passion for comic books. Something I try to pass on to old and new readers. It's Sunday, November 12th, 2023, and this is episode 144 of the show. Today, we have a show that is meant for the spooky season, one of my favorite times of the year. Comic book historian Arlen Schumer discusses the Twilight Zone, how it was influenced by and impacted comic books in the early Silver Age. I still enjoyed having Arlen before on the show because he's a great knowledge of comic book history and I value his viewpoints on everything comics. But is it so fantastically fun when spooky life things happen? Back in the fall of 2019, some weird affliction hit me. I spent like six weeks completely wiped out physically. It was like getting over a bad case of the flu where I couldn't even function. It was just six weeks and then it disappeared. Since then, it's come back a few times and eventually I was prescribed a pill that did change my whole quality of life. But the spooky stuff continues because the doctors still don't have any idea what's wrong with me. And in the back of my head, I keep having this nagging feeling, what happens if the meds stop working? Because sometimes even when I take the meds, I still get hit with this affliction to some degree. But I'm back, making new shows. The podcast isn't going anywhere. It isn't until things get too bad, I'll be just taking a little bit more slowly and get things ramped back up. But if you're new to the show, thanks for checking it out. I hope you continue to sample the show. Look at them show notes, follow the podcast on social media, subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your podcast, because I want this podcast to continue to grow. And as I said, introduce fans to a different way of reading and discovering fantastic comic books. Now to today's show, hope you enjoy it. Welcome back to the podcast. I am pleased to welcome back Arlen Schumer, author of the Silver Age of comic book art. Arlen, tell the fans who don't know a lot about you a little bit about yourself. Wow. Let's see. Um, I've, I'm a commercial illustrator who works in a comic book style. That's kind of one part of my career, maybe my vocation. And then my avocation has been the study of comic book history and other forms of pop culture via having written articles, lectures, webinars since the pandemic shutdown. Um, and uh, that's sort of my twin career as an illustrator, but also as a pop culture um, author, lecturer, uh, writer. And um, that's kind of uh, very fulfilling to juggle those two intertwined careers. Now, we're keeping this for the spooky season, and you picked the Twilight Zone. Now, the original Twilight Zone ran back from 59 through 64. It was for five seasons. And Dell Comics, an ancient comic that nobody knows about anymore, released the Twilight Zone comic book back in 62. Dell did all the licensed stuff back then. They were the big licensor. You thought people did license now? No, Dell had a lockout. They did Walt Disney, Looney Tune, TV shows, Untouchables, Lassie. They did everything. And the issue would feature Rod Sterling. He would introduce a story, and occasionally they would do an adaptation. So you picked this. What was your take on the TV series and the Silver Age comic book? 
you just you just talked about the Twilight Zone comic books, but the question you're asking me is, wh- what do I think about both the series and the comic book? Because I'm sure you've read the the. the I know you've yeah, read that. I comic. was actually I was actually never into uh, Twilight Zone the comic book because it was published by Dell or Gold Key or both of them. They they switched on and off with the license, but those comics. They were bait and switch. They had beautifully painted covers, but the interior art was drab and ugly. And I'm really only into the original Twilight Zone television series created by Rod Serling on CBS for five seasons. All of the remakes, all of the homages, you know, starting with the Spielberg 83 film, which I thought was a real piece of junk. Um, And... You know, it's really only the TV series I'm about, even though I've done a lecture and a webinar on comic books in the Twilight Zone. What's more salient to comic books in the Twilight Zone is the conceptual nature of the Twilight Zone. So many of the episodes, you know, they're like 25 minute exercises with little twist endings. Well, the EC science fiction comics and the horror comics of the early 50s that I'm sure Serling read because he was in the army and all the army men read comic books in the 1940s. And Serling, who was into science fiction and fantasy, I'm sure read comics. But the EC eight-page short stories are really the equivalent of Twilight Zone because they also had twists endings and surprises they had science fiction episodes that are very much like twilight zone science fiction episodes in which we human beings become the aliens all of these 180 degree switches in narrative structure and i believe serling was influenced by those ec comics of the early 50s to later kind of do them in the Twilight Zone because the half-hour dramatic anthology form was the television equivalent of the eight-page EC comic book story. Not a 24-page story, but an eight-page story is like the short story of comic books. And the 25-minute or half-hour episode of anthology drama, that's not even a genre even around anymore. It was, it was, you know, twi- those great Twilight Zone episodes, there was nothing like them before and nothing like them after. Most drama ever since on television is an hour long. A half hour drama, not with continuing characters, but but an anthology format in which every week has to have a different setting, different characters. That demands a lot from viewers. And, um, so in terms of Twilight Zone and comic books, that's really how they intersect. One of the most famous Twilight Zone episodes, Eye of the Beholder, about the woman getting plastic surgery. There is an EC science fiction story called The Ugly One. And if you go to my Vimeo channel and you look at the webinar, Comics in the Twilight Zone, I show this story. The story, written by the usual team of publisher and editor Bill Gaines and Al Feldstein, illustrated by Joe Orlando, who later became 
the DC Comics editor of their horror line, like Swamp Thing. And uh, um, the stories are almost exactly the same. Now, in modern pop culture, we talk about things like the songs on Led Zeppelin One being elaborate cover versions of those old blues songs by Lead Belly and, and th people like that. And later they were sued. And now when you buy Led Zeppelin One, it the, the credits read Page, Plant, and Lead Belly. Um, Serling never gave credit to Eye the Beholder to that EC story. Maybe it was a subconscious, unconscious borrowing. But when I show them in my webinar, it's the same basic story that the people we think are are ugly are really beautiful and vice versa. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. So um, that's really how comic books and, and Twilight Zone cross over. And then just to continue that, the Marvel comics of the early 60s, before Steve Ditko did Spider-Man with Stan Lee, he did a bunch of five-page horror and science fiction fantasy stories that were basically knockoffs of Twilight Zone episodes. They came one or two years after Twilight Zone. So you know the Twilight Zone episode with Burgess Meredith in the future, and uh, not the future, after the bomb drops and breaks his glasses. One of my favorite shows. So there's a Steve Ditko, Stan Lee, amazing fantasy story, you know, maybe like two years later. Uh, that's basically the same plot. Um, so they were doing, you know, remember, Twilight Zone in its day was popular in the sense of people knew about it. You know, the Twilight Zone, the theme song, you know, it had a hold on the American consciousness for its time, even though the ratings just like Star Trek years later, we're never that high. And, uh, but it was a critic's darling. You know, that famous quote by Newton Minow of the FCC, television is a vast wasteland. I think he said that in 1961, endlessly quoted, Ronald. Well, people don't realize he that was a sentence that was truncated. He finished by saying, television is a vast wasteland, except for notable programs like the Twilight Zone. So so I guess the point I wanted to make is, um, so the shows are popular. So Ditko and Lee are knocking them off, basically. And then when they get to the last issue of Amazing Fantasy in 1962, the sales were low, just like Twilight Zone ratings were low. And Martin Goodman, the publisher, Stanley's cousin, I think, uh, no nepotism there, but uh, they were gonna cancel Amazing Fantasy. Well, there was one final story in the last issue of Amazing Fantasy that's basically a Twilight Zone version of a superhero story. Now, what do I mean by that? The surprise endings of the Twilight Zone are about irony, about comeuppance, about a shift in narrative perspective. So, what was that superhero story? In the last issue of Amazing Fantasy, a hmm. Twilight Zone superhero story. Spider-Man? Was it Spider-Man? Of course. Because look at the origin of Spider-Man. He doesn't get struck by lightning and develop superpowers and say, I'm going to go fight crime. He gets, yeah, gets bitten by a spider, science fiction. But that's not why. When he first gets his powers, he uses them selfishly. He wants to make money. He goes on reality television of its day. 
And then he's so selfish, his town needs money, while the criminal who would later murder Uncle Ben goes running by and the cop asks him. So Spider-Man becomes Spider-Man out of guilt, out of irony, that he could have saved the man that murdered the man most prominent in Spider, basically his father figure, Uncle Ben. So he becomes Spider-Man. He becomes a superhero out of guilt, psychological guilt. And in order to basically redeem himself, yes, he then goes and, quote, fights crime. But that was a different origin than all superhero origins before. It was a Twilight Zone irony applied to a superhero origin story. So when you talk about comic books in the Twilight Zone, there might not have been a Spider-Man without the Twilight Zone. So you said, and I, I did some research, I think Brian did read some comic books. Do you think um, he had any say in what was going on in the Dell comics, or he just like let other people do it? Yeah, what but Rob, let me say, let me say, the best thing in my, when I do my webinar, the only way I touch upon the Dell and Gold Key versions, because you got to remember, that's what Dell and Gold Key did. They did licensed comics. And they every TV show in the 1960s had a Dell or Gold Key comic book. But they're not great comics. They're not in the Hall of Fame of great art or great story. Like I said, they have nice painted covers. But even as a kid, my brother and I, we never bought a Gold Key or Dell comic. We took one look at the interiors, and we knew what good artwork was. But... I will say, in the early 70s, they the Twilight Zone titles were still considered almost like a training ground for up-and-coming talent. So believe it or not, artists like Walt Simonson, Frank Miller, they got their start not at Marvel or DC, the big two. They got their start doing some eight-page stories of Twilight Zones for those Dell and Goldsky comics. So that, to me, is the only purpose they serve in pop culture history. But the real connection between Twilight Zone comics is what I've just been blabbing about for the last 10 minutes. Because, you know, uh, some of those old things, like the old Star Trek that was hostile, awful comic book back in the 60s, I mean, they've been collected in some of the other things. Why haven't DC, I'm sorry, why hasn't CBS, which owns it, Paramount, like try to feed in that nostalgia and just put some Twilight Zones out there that reprint some of that stuff. I mean, is it that crappy or do you think there's no interest in Twilight Zone anymore? So why should they even bother doing anything Twilight Zone? Well, it's purely a commercial venture, but like I said, Dell and Gold Key are not known for having any great, great artwork. Like, yeah, Russ Manning did Magnus Robot Fighter. That was about the only thing I thought was good because Russ Manning was good, but I don't really know anything about the journeyman artists that were in those books. And I'd rather talk about the TV series than talk about the comics, which are not worth talking about, frankly. So why do you think there's a Twilight Zone that could succeed today? Or should they just leave it be with Rod Serling? No, wait, say that one more time. Do you think there's a place for a new Twilight Zone? Like they've revived it every few years? Or they just uh, leave, like it, leave it the classics? Yeah, well, a couple of years ago, 
they gave it to Jordan Peele. Did you watch any of the Jordan Peele Twilight Zones? A few of them. They were kind of okay, but I mean. That's a nice way of saying they sucked. There's so much stuff out there that just I don't have the time to really watch a lot of TV. It's just, it's just a floodgate. But yeah, you're right. The, the Jordan Peele Twilight Zone just didn't seem anything. Right. So, why did it, so why did it suck? Why did the 1985 Twilight Zone suck? Why did the, the they made two or three other syndicated versions? Why and when I say they suck, I'm of course generalizing, but trust me, I've watched them all. I even gave them a second chance when they came up in syndication a few years ago. Oh, Arlen, you have to see uh, one of the episodes in the '85 series, Paladin or something. Paladin, maybe it was a Harlan Ellison story or something. Everything they recommend. Same thing with Night Gallery. Oh, Arlen, you have to see they're tearing down Tim Riley's bar. And you have to see the Messiah on Mott Street. Those were the two episodes that were worthy of Rod Serling's talent. They belong right next to the greatest Twilight Zones. Well, let me tell you something. I watched them again. And guess what? They were horrible. I mean... Everything Rod Serling was accused of in terms of being criticized for his writing, sometimes it was overwritten because he would dictate his scripts into a dictaphone. So, you know, on the negative side, a lot of his scripts can be overly talky because he literally was talking his scripts. So he was talking and Serling was a great talker, great conversationalist. Um, and greatest broadcast voice of the 20th century. So maybe if you had the voice of Rod Serling, it would be great to hear yourself speak. But I digress. The point is, um, you know, he 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 wrote, he overwrote a lot. And I just thought Mott Street was maudlin. And I thought tearing down Tim Riley's bar also, I, I just thought they were terrible examples of Serling's writing, and yet they came with all this baggage of praise. Um, so what can I tell you? You know, that's what makes a horse race. I've got my own opinion of things. I don't care what other people say about something. We should all judge things on our own. Um, sometimes we'll agree with the majority. Sometimes we won't. But I definitely form my own opinions. And like I said, <laughs> the Serling that I love I praise to the heavens and all of my pop culture interests, Ron, I'm as critical of them as I am praiseworthy of them. But the fanboy mentality is you've got to love everything that the artist that you're following does. And my feeling is true criticism in art history, in literature criticism, nothing anybody ever does is all great. Even Bob Dylan had a fallow period, uh, 1973 Planet Waves, I think, is considered his worst album. But I'm sure somebody loves it. But my point is, is being a, quote, fan of somebody's work doesn't mean you have to love everything they do. And that's what criticism, that's why movie critics review movies. This is what we do as a society. And this fanboy mentality, especially online, when you voice 
a differing opinion. People, if people are praising something and you come on and say, well, you know what? I don't really think it was that good. Take Oppenheimer. I thought Oppenheimer failed as a film because it didn't show, it didn't dramatize what movies do best, the awful um, results of Oppenheimer's genius. The, the killing of, you know, hundreds of thousands at Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And without feeling that viscerally, then everything Oppenheimer wrestled with for the rest of his life and the trouble he got into, they all come from that. But I couldn't feel that in the film because they didn't make us feel the pain of the bomb. And without feeling that, like I said, everything else was a little moot. And yet the film made a billion dollars, praise to the heavens. But sorry, it didn't work for me. And that's uh, the way it goes. Arlen, before we wrap this up, do you have any closing thoughts on The Twilight Zone before we part for this conversation? Well, I might as well plug my... Uh, that's what uh, you're on here for. From... Bear Manor Media, sometime in that in 2024, I'm not sure when, but uh, it's a book called The Five Themes of the Twilight Zone. And um, I think I have it right over here. This is just the, the kind of manuscript cover, but you can see that, my Twilight yes. Zone. But the five themes refer to five conceptual themes of the Twilight Zone that I feel... Serling and Company's greatest episodes fall into. And I've written episode essays about those episodes. And I ended up with 68 different episodes spread out over these five themes. And the case I'm making is that, hey, there were 156 episodes. But what I was just telling you about being critical, I think half of them are dogs. Dogs. But I attribute a lot of that to the strain of churning out weekly anthology format television. You know, it's not like sitcoms where you have the same set every week. Twilight Zone, every episode had to be new. So when you churn out weekly television at a fixed budget, yeah, you're going to end up with some turkeys. But that leaves 75 episodes or so. I think 50 of them are what I call good to great television which is a broad spectrum, of course. But then you're left with about 25 episodes that if the aliens came to Earth and said, we have room on our spaceship for one example of Earth television, what are you going to give them? You're going to give them The Sopranos? Are you going to give them I Love Lucy? No. I'm giving them these 25 episodes. So the five themes are what I call science and superstition, suburban nightmares, a question of identity, the time element, all the time travel episodes, and then obsolete man, Serling's overarching theme, man against society, man against oppression. Um, there was an episode called The Obsolete Man, also with Burgess Meredith. So I'm really proud. I've really been working on these episode essays on and off literally for 30 plus years. So to finally get them in print um, 
And I'm being controversial on purpose in the sense of these are the 68 episodes that I absolutely pruned as being the ones most worthy of writing about. But that's a challenge to other Twilight Zone aficionados like, hey, an episode that I think sucks, you might think is great. You know, I have a friend, Twilight Zone fan. He's a professor at a university. He loves the episode King Nine Shall Not Return or Will Not Return. I forget the words. An episode from season two. Now, I don't like it. I have nothing to say good about it, really. But he loves it. He did a whole lecture about it. He thinks it's the most philosophical and, and metaphysical episode. Well, more power to you. So if you do your book on the Twilight Zone, you'll make a case for King Nine. And this is how critics and historians create consensus, consensuses of who are the great artists, what are the great paintings, what are the great novels. And I like to basically be the one that is really starting to look at the Twilight Zone as this incredible body of, of, of creative work, the best television ever produced in the 20th century. And like I said, tell you, in my opinion, as a critic, fan, lover of the show, these are the episodes that are brilliant. And then if another critic or author comes along and says, no, 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 these episodes are the ones, well, this is what you create. You create a healthy debate, and then you you allow in, okay, what are the top 10 episodes? What are the best episodes? So I've staked my claim with five themes of the Twilight Zone, and I think you'll enjoy my essays. If you're a diehard fan, I hope I've given you an angle on the episode that you might know, like the back of your hand. But if I've done my job well, maybe there'll be a spark of something that you never thought about or never felt. And then, of course, for the newbie, younger fan, I'm giving them a view of these episodes that I hope will make them want to go actually, you know, watch them and learn about them. So there's really something for everybody if you're a fan of the original series. Arlen, you made for a fascinating topic today. Thank you for joining me on the podcast. I'm going to have you back on again because I value your opinions. Anytime, Ron. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Arlen. Well, that's it for today's podcast. Again, I would love to hear from you, a fantastic comic fan at gmail.com. Remember, new episodes every Wednesday. Thanks so much for listening to this episode, and I hope to see you next time.